You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Um, we've kind of been talking about and just working our way through um, some stories in the book of Acts. And uh, Luke really wrote the book of Acts, and it was really kind of written to provide a historical uh, background of how the New Testament church began. Uh, following the death of Jesus Christ, uh, as he rose from the dead and the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, as well as um, all of the highs and lows, the, the, the you know, joys, the difficulties, the wins, the losses that, you know, the very first church in the very first century uh, experienced. Last week, we kind of were looking at the story of Pentecost. That's the day that the Holy Spirit was sent as God promised, as Jesus foretold, that when he returned to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit. And there in Acts 2, we find the fulfillment of that promise there. Uh, And what's interesting is that we kind of talked about there being this progression, this steady progression of what God uh, started there in Genesis 3.15, and each progression, each act of God kind of built upon the last one, and each progression, each step of God uh, better than the one uh, before, and and it kind of builds until you come to uh, this pivotal moment uh, where the Holy Spirit comes in fullness and power and indwells believers there in Acts 2. And the purpose of that really was to reproduce the kingdom of God upon the earth just as it was in the earthly ministry of Jesus. And again, what you see in each of those progressions are more powerful than the last. And again, it's building towards something bigger each step of the way. So the beginning there in the Old Testament, We kind of talked about this and we worked our way through step by step there. In Genesis 3.15, where where God uh, says to to the serpent that that you will strike him on the head, he will strike you on the heel. And, And that was showing that God is for us. And then we see that Jesus uh, took on flesh and became a human being, Emmanuel, that God is with us. In the crucifixion, we see that he is God as us. He is God in our place. He takes our punishment for our sin upon himself. Then we see that he is God before us uh, in the resurrection uh, with eternal life. We said that 40 days later, he ascends to the Father and he's now God over us in in that he is interceding, he is praying for us until we finally come to Pentecost, God in us. And, And we said it's that final progression of God to us than to be dwelling in us. God for us, God with us, God as us, God before us, God over us, but God in us is the very best that God has to offer. And this is ultimately what God wanted to achieve, creating us, 
bringing us and positioning us to be his dwelling place, to be the temple of God, to be that place where God would dwell in us and work through us, empowering us to do his works and to establish his kingdom upon the earth. So again, why Pentecost? So the kingdom of God could come upon the earth just as it is in heaven, just as it did when Jesus walked the earth. That's the whole purpose. It's the whole point of Pentecost so that the kingdom of God would come, that it would be manifested upon the earth. And again, not just in one man as it was in, in Jesus' day, but Pentecost comes so that the Holy Spirit is able to fill all believers, and then it multiplies the works of God upon the earth. It's no longer just one person, it's many who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was the only way for the kingdom of God to be manifested upon the earth. And, and I stressed this last week, the only way for the kingdom of God to come upon the earth is believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no other way for the kingdom of God to come upon the earth. So last Sunday, we began looking at three ways the spirit of God wants to manifest or to bring the kingdom of God uh, upon the earth. And again, he wants to do that through believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first one we looked at was the kingdom of God wants to manifest itself through salvation. Now, unfortunately, I can't take the time I did last Sunday. We talked about Romans chapter 10, and we went through those first 13 verses very, very slowly and in great detail because it lays out the plan of salvation. And so we kind of walk through that uh, very slowly. It's probably something that should be done every Sunday, but you just don't have that time and opportunity to do that in, in the length and the detail that I did. So I would encourage you, you can get on our website and you can go back and listen uh, to that sermon if you missed that or just would like a refresher course. Like I said, it not only lays out the plan of salvation for us, but it also teaches us how to share the plan of salvation with those uh, who don't know Jesus. So both of those are very, very important. We need to hear, we need to receive the message of salvation. And then we need to also understand that message and that plan of God that we're able to share that with people who don't know him. So that's the first way that God wants to manifest his kingdom upon the earth is through salvation. Salvation, it, it's the greatest miracle. If, if you are looking for signs, wonders, and miracles upon the earth, I will tell you the greatest sign, miracle, and wonder that ever happened upon the earth is salvation. It is the greatest one. As a matter of fact, I would say all of the other miracle signs and wonders to me pale in comparison to that one. So if we're gonna be a church, if we're gonna be believers who are looking for miracle signs and wonders in the church and in our community, the greatest and biggest way that God's gonna manifest that is through salvation. The second way that God wants to manifest his kingdom upon the earth uh, is through physical healing. Now, you may be here this morning and you're a believer. 
and, and maybe you have kind of sickness and disease, I want to tell you this morning, the good news of the gospel is, is that God wants to manifest himself and his kingdom upon you uh, in healing, just like it did in Jesus, in the days of Jesus's ministry, and just like it did uh, there in the early church. Now, 1 Peter 2.24 says this, he, and he's referring to Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed now that you have been healed that's present or past tense and what that is saying to us is that when Jesus's body was broken and his blood was shed that it is those wounds that have manifested or it's what will produce your healing. So your healing, as well as your salvation, was provided for through the atoning death of Christ on the cross. In that moment, over 2,000 years ago, when Jesus hung upon that cross, it was not just for the forgiveness of your sins. It was not just for your salvation. It was also for your physical healing. So the question many people have when they hear me make a statement like that is, okay, then why isn't everybody healed? Right? That's a, that's a great question. It's a fair question. I mean, every one of us in this room, if you have been a believer for any time, we've prayed for people and they've been healed. I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I have prayed for people for physical healing that have not been healed. So why are some healed and some not? Again, it's a great question and there's no easy answer and I don't believe there's any definitive answer I think you could ask a similar question regarding salvation. Why do some people hear the gospel message and respond and are saved, and yet others will hear the same exact message and they won't receive it? They, they, they won't be healed. As a matter of fact, when I shared the gospel message last Sunday morning, there were some of you that responded and 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 said, yes, I, I, need to, I need to be saved. There were others here that I believe heard the message, but decided for whatever reasons, I'm gonna reject that. I'm, I'm gonna rebel against that. I am not going uh, to make Jesus Lord of my life. Why is it again that some people hear the gospel message, they respond and are saved, and others can sit under the same identical message, hear it, and reject it. I don't fully know the answer to that question either. I think scripture gives us some insight uh, into some possible potential answers as to why, but you can't apply those answers to every situation. So let me just give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about in regards to healing. Now, James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So James kind of lays out a scenario there for healing. 
And he simply says, you know what? Just confess your sins one to another, pray for each other. And he says, so that you may be healed. So let's just say, for example, uh, that you have an area of sin that needs to be confessed. God has impressed this. The Holy Spirit has highlighted this for you. You need to confess this sin to another person. And let's just say for you know, an example, you decide, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to confess that. I, I'm going to keep that private. I'm going to keep that hidden. I'm going to keep that secret. That act of disobedience may, and I stress may, possibly, potentially be a block to healing. Again, hear me carefully. I'm not saying that if you have sickness and disease and haven't been healed, it's because you have unconfessed sin in your life. Most people shut the message down, not so much by what I am saying, but by what they think I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not here to say if you've got sin or sickness that you've got unconfessed sin in your life. I'm just saying it is a possibility. It is a potential block to healing and only you and the Lord know that um, and need to work through that if that's the issue. And again, sometimes God is waiting on us to be obedient to his word, to confess that sin to another person. I want you to know this. God is way more interested and concerned in your spiritual healing first. And then oftentimes when we kind of get our spiritual healing worked out and taken care of, then God will manifest the physical. Oftentimes if God manifests the physical healing without us dealing with the spiritual issues, we kind of get the benefit, but we don't deal with the core issue, the core problem. And God just doesn't work that way. So that's just one example of potential possible block to healing. Another example is found in the life of the Old Testament, a man named Naaman. I find this story just so fascinating on, on many levels. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered leprosy. So as you read the story of one of Naaman's wives, uh, one of her servant girls, um, she talks about this prophet who is Elisha that she's referring to, but she talks about this prophet in Samaria. And she says to the wife of Naaman, if your husband Naaman would simply go to Samaria and seek out this prophet, I believe he can be healed. So Naaman's wife you know, relays this to Naaman and Naaman takes off in search of this uh, prophet uh, in Samaria, Elisha, and he finds him. So I kind of pick up the story in verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Sounds pretty simple, right? But I want you to notice Naaman's response to this very simple request. Verse 11, Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. So he's offended. He literally didn't even have the decency to come and speak to me face to face. He sent a servant. 
How dare he? Doesn't he know who I am? And so, so he's offended that it wasn't Elisha, but that it was a messenger. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy, call on the name of his God and heal me. So he just, I, I would have rather he just did it a different way. I don't like the way God told him to do this. I want him to do it the way I want it done. And then he says, aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Albana, the Farfur, better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why should I wash in them? In other words, he's saying there, there's just so many better places. There's so many cleaner rivers. Why do I have to go to the Jordan? Wouldn't one of the other places be better? So he, he's got all of this stuff kind of going on inside of him. And all of it is, is just a block to healing. Let's just say, here, I'll make it simple. Just go dip seven times in the Jordan River. You'll be healed. And, and he just throws up all of these complaints and, and preferences of how he would rather God do it. So Naaman turned away and went in a rage. Now, luckily, Naaman's officers see all of this. And it says they tried to reason with him. And it's, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So luckily Naaman went down to the river Jordan and dipped himself seven times as the son of God or the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. So like Naaman, sometimes, again, one of the blocks to our physical healing may, and again, I stress the word may. This is a potential. It's a possibility. It's that God has asked us to do something before we're healed, and like Naaman, we just simply refuse to do it. And like Naaman, once we obey, once God, we, we kind of do what God's called us to do, our healing will manifest. So God may be calling you to forgive someone. Maybe you kind of are holding a grudge against someone. And, and, and God wants you to go and to forgive them. And once you have forgiven them, then your healing will manifest. Maybe some of you uh, need to have a, a broken relationship restored. And again, once we have obeyed and, and made that relationship right, then again, sometimes our, our physical healing comes. And again, this is not true for everyone who has unhealed sickness or disease. My point being is there may potentially be blocks that get in the way of our physical healing manifesting. And again, once we address and resolve those blocks, healing has the potential of coming. And again, back to my original question, why are some people healed and some people aren't? And again, I don't fully know the answer to that question. And having been in ministry for 30 years and studying this uh, very, very deeply, I can assure you nobody else has all the answers uh, either. When healing doesn't come, we just continue to trust in the Lord. We just continue to pray that for whatever reason, 
that God would just be faithful to his word, that God would just, you know, again, just act upon his promises that he is our healer and that if there are potential blocks, we just trust that God is faithful, he is good, he is kind, he, he will reveal what those blocks may be. And then again, as we respond to those revelations, then it, again, it begins to remove those barriers and just gives God more freedom um, to move. So again, um, I, I just want to uh, uh, encourage you uh, in that this morning as, as we close this morning. We're going to have people here. And if you're here this morning and have sickness and disease, uh, we want to pray for you this morning because, again, we believe that that is one of the ways that God wants to manifest the kingdom of God upon the earth here today and now is through salvation and physical healing. The third way that God wants to manifest the kingdom of God upon this earth today is by giving you and filling you with his Holy Spirit. Now, again, as I said last Sunday, I'll say it again um, this morning, um, you will be extremely limited in how God can use you to manifest his kingdom upon the earth if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Anytime we attempt to manifest God's kingdom apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, working through us, it becomes more about us than it does about God. Everything that God does in manifesting his kingdom upon the earth is that he would be glorified by that. And oftentimes when we're doing that apart from the Holy Spirit working and operating in us, it becomes more about us than it does about him. And rather than him getting the glory, oftentimes we're looking for the glory, for the recognition. Even Jesus, during his three and a half years of ministry upon the earth, everything he did, everything he said, he did it and said it as a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit and all of it was done to glorify the Father. The same is true for us. Now again, remember that early progression of Jesus' life. He's born, he lives among us as a human being, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing the works of God as if God himself were doing it. He's crucified, he died. Three days later, he's resurrected from the dead. He ascends to the Father, and then he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell believers so we can also do the works of God like Jesus did. Again, it's so easy for some of us to have been to the cross. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We've asked him to forgive us. We've been to the empty tomb. We believe that God raised him uh, from the dead. Uh, and again, some of us are like those disciples as they kind of stood there and they watched Jesus ascend. They just watched him go away from uh, them. Um, they, they kind of stop at the ascension. There, there are people uh, who just never go on to Pentecost. And maybe you've experienced, you know, the, the death of Jesus, you've accepted the resurrection, you acknowledge the ascension, but you've kind of stopped there in your growth, in your walk, in your journey. And, and again, the progression is, is the, the greatest place for us to come into is the uh, Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit uh, fills and indwells believers. And as a matter of fact, there were believers like that in the very first church in the very first century, born again believers 
people who had confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they had never asked for the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, beginning in verse one, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. These are followers of Jesus. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? Now listen to their response. No, we hadn't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, well, then into what were you baptized? And he answered into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And again, God wants to manifest his kingdom upon this earth. And God has chosen to do that in a very, very particular, specific way. And that is through Christians who are filled and operating in the Holy Spirit, just like his son, Jesus was. And God wants to manifest his kingdom, not just in this church, but in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. As a matter of fact, everywhere you go, God wants to manifest his kingdom in that place, in that time, in those situations and circumstances. Now, let me just give a note of clarification here. The moment we are born again, the moment we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, we receive the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness, okay? It, it's what I would call, it's part of the package of salvation. The moment you are saved, I want you to understand there are several spiritual transactions that occur. The moment you are born again, you are instantly, fully regenerated. You are anointed, and the scripture says you are sealed by the Holy Spirit the moment of your salvation. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter one, beginning in verse 13. And he said, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. How does he do that? by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee or his earnest or his down payment that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. That happened the moment you were born again. We also find something similar to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And it says, he has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own. Now, how did he do that? Well, he tells you by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment or the first payment that guarantees everything that he has promised us. So again, Paul very clearly tells us that the moment we become believers in Jesus Christ, we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit as the earnest or the down payment of the pledge that God saved for you, that, that eventually all the promises of God are going to come into their fulfillment. How many of you know that someday we're going to have resurrected bodies, right? 
How many of you have that resurrected body now? No, if you, you'd be dead uh, if, if you raised your hand. Uh, we would need to have a funeral for you immediately right here and now. None of us have that resurrected body. But we know that scripture promises us one day when Jesus returns, if we're in the grave, if we've already died, it says that we're going to be resurrected first. Our, our graves are just gonna pop open and, and we're just going to rise from the dead. And then it says, we who remain upon the earth, we haven't died yet, says that, that we will then also be caught up with them, those who were resurrected and Jesus, we, and, and we will be with him forever. And when that happens, what we're gonna do is we're going to inherit, we're gonna cash in on that promise that, that we now have resurrected immortal bodies. And again, there are many promises in scripture we don't have right now. But one day we are going to get all that God has promised to us and that Holy Spirit that was given to you at the moment of your salvation, it is that down payment, it's that promise, it's that guarantee. You don't have it all yet, but one day you will. And again, certain spiritual transactions occur the moment we are born again and having the Holy Spirit living inside of us is one of those realities. And again, it's part of the package. It's part of the salvation experience. And again, it's interesting because we are never, ever commanded in scripture to seek out any of those realities because you automatically receive them at the moment of salvation. So we're never ever told that we need to pray for or seek after regeneration because we are fully instantly regenerated the moment that we're saved. We don't have to seek after being sealed by the Holy Spirit because you are permanently sealed the moment you receive Christ Jesus. Now, I said all that to say this, receiving the Holy Spirit as a part of our salvation experience is different from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll kind of talk about the differences uh, in those. And again, we are commanded in scripture. We are encouraged in scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians chapter five is a place where Paul gives us, I think, the best and clearest explanation of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul does it kind of in a very interesting way. In Ephesians five, verse 18, Paul makes this contract. He starts off with a negative and then follows it up with a positive. Do not be drunk with wine, he says. That's the negative. Don't do it. It'll ruin your life, the scripture says but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the positive. And that's interesting, isn't it? Paul compares the filling of the Holy Spirit with being drunk with wine. Now, why does Paul do that? Well, what happens when a person is drunk with wine or any other kind of alcohol for that matter? They are under the influence of a power outside of themselves, right? They, they have lost control. People who get uh, intoxicated, drunk with alcohol, we've all been around them, maybe you've unfortunately been one of them, you will say and you will do things you normally will not say and do when you're sober. 
Take a person who's really as neat as they possibly can be. And when they get under the influence of alcohol, what is amazing is they will become very sloppy um, and disheveled. I mean, take a person who is, who is usually laid back. You know, they're, they're normally very gentle and they're, they're very mild. And under the influence of alcohol, they become vicious, mean, and vulgar. It, it changes them. They are no longer the same person. They are now under the influence of a power outside of themselves. And every one of us have been around people where we have seen this happen. Growing up, we lived next door to a family for many, many years. And we were very, very good friends with them and, and their kids and my siblings and I, we were all about the same age. So we played together all the time. We grew up together, went to the same schools. I mean, we were together all the time. And the mom and dad were very nice. They were just very gentle, very laid back, very loving people. As a matter of fact, they were my godparents when I was baptized uh, in the Lutheran church. They also liked to drink and they liked to get drunk a lot. And when they did, they would become these very angry, these very vicious, these very mean and vulgar people. And they, and they would be very loud and they would be very argumentative. And there would be summer nights where, you know, their windows uh, would be open and you could just hear them sometimes in the middle of the night screaming and yelling and cursing at each other. And they, they were just nasty. When you're under the influence of alcohol, it affects the way you talk. It affects the way you walk. It affects the way you think. And you become a completely different person because you now have placed yourself under the control of a power outside of yourself. And Paul says the same thing is true when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I think it's kind of interesting in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit that there were people around that were kind of witnessing what all was happening there. And they thought that these disciples who were being filled with the Holy Spirit, they thought that they were being drunk with wine. Now the disciples, they weren't mean, they weren't aggressive or vulgar, but they were under the influence of a power that was outside of themselves. It had come to dwell in them and it began to manifest itself in them. And it's the same thing that's true with alcohol. And so Paul calls us as believers, says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I want you to notice is that phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is in the imperative mood. And it simply means it's being given as a command. As I said, there's some things we don't need to seek after. They're just part of the package of salvation. There's some things we need to seek after. And one of the things we need to seek after, Paul says, is you gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's in the imperative mood. It, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's in the imperative mood. It is a command. The other thing to notice about this particular statement, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is not only is it an imperative mood, it is also a present tense verb. Now, present tense 
verbs mean it is a continual, ongoing, repeatable thing. It's not just, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit once and done. It is a continual, it is an ongoing, it is something that needs to be repeated over and over and over again. So you could translate this verse there that Paul gives, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, repeatedly be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, be filled with the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow be filled with the Holy Spirit and the day after that, be filled with the Holy Spirit and every day after that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, it is to be experienced over and over again as often as we need it. And each time we're filled, Paul says you will be given the power, the ability to do the works that Jesus did during his ministry upon the earth. Now, many Christians are trying, they're striving to do the very same works that Jesus did upon the earth, but they're trying to do it with the filling of the Holy Spirit from 10 years ago. Paul says it needs to be continually, it needs to be repeated day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're doing the works of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is gonna be flowing out of you. That's the idea there. As I get filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to flow out of me and it's gonna begin to be a blessing to other people. And as it's flowing out of me, I just need to be refilled again. And, and there's just kind of this continual progression of being filled and releasing the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says, continually, repeatedly be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the idea there. And again, each time you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, you're allowing yourself to be under the influence of a power outside yourself. And that is the Holy Spirit is inside you. He is in control. He's calling the shots. He's leading and guiding you. And it will affect the way you walk. It will affect the way you think. It will affect the way you talk. Let me close with this. Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? To those who write a check? To those who teach Bible classes? To those who become pastors? No. To those who ask him. Every one of us here that are parents, we, we long. It's our desire to give good gifts to our children. Where did we get that tendency from? The father. We're, we're, we're like to our children the way God desires to be for us. He, we want to give good things to our kids. God wants to give good things to his kids. And he says, you know what? If you want the Holy Spirit, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all you got to do is ask. It's that simple. If you're born again, all you have to do is ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, whatever moment, whatever situation you find yourself in, and the promise of scripture is he will fill you. 
And every time after that, when you come to him and ask him to be filled with the spirit again, he will. And once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God will begin to work in and through you and God will begin to manifest the kingdom of God upon the earth just as he did in the days of Jesus. So let's go ahead and stand together. I wanna kind of just close with this prayer, kind of this declaration. We'll kind of read this uh, out loud together. I found this in one of my devotions uh, this week. Uh, I was really, uh, uh, just kind of really did this several times this week. I just found it to be very, very meaningful uh, for me. I pray that you'll find that meaningful for you. As a matter of fact, my, my friend here, uh, is it Christine? Christy, uh, I don't know if you've gotten on to the seedbed devotion. Okay, yeah, this is taken from uh, the book of, well, he's doing the book of Acts right now. So this came out of that. So I was gonna encourage you, if you don't have that, uh, get on that. And any of you that don't have like a, a daily devotional, uh, it's something that Janie and I have been doing and he's just starting a whole series now on the book of Acts. If you'd like to get in on that uh, devotion, you can talk to us and we'll get you signed up for that. Uh, but again, let's just read this together again as our prayer, uh, as our, our affirmation. Lord Jesus, I am your witness. I receive your righteousness and release my sin. I receive your wholeness and release my brokenness. I receive your fullness and release my emptiness. I receive your creativity and release my chaos. I receive your healing and release my sickness. I receive your joy and release my despair. I receive your rest and release my striving. I receive your spirit and I release your spirit. Come Holy Spirit, transform my heart, mind, soul, and strength that my consecration become your demonstration that our lives become your sanctuary. For the glory of God, our Father. Amen. Thanks for listening. Amen for more information and about amen. Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.